This is Wildcat Dojo Conversations. I'm going to start today's show with a big shout out to our friends in Buford, Georgia. Thanks, Honor Athletics, for being our sponsor. Landon, how can we get in touch with them? Call for personal service at 770-945-5150. You can also order all your karate needs and more online at honorathletics.com. And hey, guys, don't forget to use the code WILDCATDOJO as you're checking out for your 10% discount. As always, thanks, Honor Athletics. I second that emotion. I second it. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to another episode of Wildcat Dojo Conversations. Today, it's just myself, Landon, and Sensei Jackie. We didn't have anybody come out today because people aren't traveling around so much right now. But I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to be talking about Soho Chakuan, or just Chakuan, as I like to call them, since we're pals. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Glad you're here. <laughs> hi, everybody. How are you? Well, I'm guessing everybody's hanging in. Also, probably happy to have us in their head for something different. What do you bet? Yes. They should. Okay. Today, we're continuing our history, and we will, as I told you earlier, be talking about Takuan Soho. Sensei Jackie did the heavy lifting on the research for this episode. So a big thanks. My pleasure. It was really interesting to me to find out about him. I thought it would be a, a decent way to start would be by explaining a little bit about how names are reversed in Japanese. From the site Quora, I found this out. The word no in Japanese means of. And when it's used, it would sit in reverse order to how we would think of it. In other words, I wouldn't be Michelle of the Darbro clan. Instead, I would be Darbro no Michelle, and it would mean Michelle of the Darbro clan. Over time, the no was eliminated. By the way, our favorite unreliable source, Wikipedia, tells us that as of 2008, many Japanese people give their names with their given name, i.e. your first name, before the surname, also known as your last name. So that's kind of a Fun little piece of trivia. And by the way, if you have more information on this and would like to tell us, get in touch. You can do that at dojoconversations at AOL.com, on our website, wildcatdojo.com, on Facebook, Wildcat Dojo, and our new method, voicemail, at 954-350-1915. Maybe somebody has ancestors whose names were reversed and theirs are not, or they still do theirs that way. I think this is just such a intriguing subject. I would love to get some facts about it that I don't know. And you know what's going to be really interesting this summer when the Olympics are in Japan? We're going to hear names both ways. And so it'll be fun to look. That will be interesting. Don't forget to get in touch with us. If your knowledge, which I'm sure it is, is broader than ours. For sure it's broader than mine on that. One of the reasons I like Takuan and one of the reasons I did this is because he wrote a treatise on Zen and sword fighting, which draws on the concept of no mind, and we've brought that concept up a lot. Super quickly, no mind is where your mind is in the exact millisecond you're in. It's not traveling backwards, forward, attaching to something. It's a very um, fleeting yes. millisecond for most people like us. That's right. But he did this to demonstrate the proper method of mind training incumbent on adepts in both the martial arts and in Zen meditation. So what I mean by that is, in order to become 
adept or expert at either martial arts or Zen, you really needed to focus your mind towards this goal. This concept exists in most of his works, including The Unfettered Mind, which is by far and away his most famous book. This book was also called The Unmoved Understanding. I love that it goes by two different titles when translated to English. One of the passages I really like that's also quoted in another great book, Zen and the Art of Archery, is where he refers to the fettered mind as flitting quickly without focus and staying where it flits rather than being able and willing to set the mind on the moment you are in. I wrote here, this is a highfalutin concept. Yes, it is, and one we wish we could do. Better. Better. Because we work at it. All three of us actually work at focus. Yes. And all three of us work at not letting something obsessive take over our brain and just keep sticking there almost like spaghetti against a wall. Oh, very good, yes. Right? But it's a tricky business. I doubt I'll have time to read the entire passage today, but I'll try to put it out as a short someday. Okay. Now, on to Tepuan, the early years. Ah. Since Sensei Jackie basically did all this work, we're leaving it up to her to um, start the bullets out, and Landon and I are going to interrupt at will. She has her sources listed as Zen Stories of the Samurai, and I think this is terabest.hu, Zen, Mesterek, and Tepuan Soho. Yes, it's a website from Hungary. Wow. And uh, it's in Hungarian on one side and English on the other. And I would say look at it because it has some of the most beautiful pictures. They were drawings of Takwat. Oh, he has some gorgeous drawings about him. You know, I was looking up um, doing the history for the Samurai podcast, which is coming up. And boy, is that going to be fun. Yes. And you know who has some awesome drawings of him is Musashi. You gotta just Google to see the drawings of him. He looks so fierce, like all of us would like to look. <laughs> all right. He had a good PR guy back in those days. I agree. All right, start us out. Takwan was born in 1573 in Izushi, Japan. His parents were farmers. Now, Takwan started his religious studies at age eight, which is interesting because we don't know if Farmers' children all did religious studies. See, that's what interests me. I wonder if everybody went into religious studies and some people just took it farther, or if they knew somebody. Yes, that's an interesting. I don't thing know. To think about. I did a little actual extra research on that, and there was nothing there for me. No, they just say he was very young when everybody he started studying, and and he was just fabulous at it. Yeah. By age ten, now he entered a Buddhist monastery called the Sect of the Pure Land. In English, I don't know what it is in Chinese. I was just about to say, I, Japanese. Bet, I bet that's prettier in Japanese. I'm sure <laughs> it is. Not that it's not nice here, but it does sound like a milk product to me. <laughs> okay. At the age of 14, he was studying at the Rinzai School of Zen Buddhism under the tutelage of his sensei, Shun Okusoen, a Zen master, in a very large temple in the city of Kyoto in southern Japan. But um, we know somebody who actually studies Zen meditation. And so, again, I'm shouting out, Sensei Max, when you come to town, please give us a holler. We, we have so many questions for you, don't we? Us. We certainly do. And, you know, the fact that Takwan was, again, 14, studying with his sensei in 
very complicated thought patterns shows that he just had this mind that was beyond his years. Agree. Now, at the very young age of 36, he had impressed his fellow monks with his character and mastery of Zen, and he was made abbot of the temple, which was such an honor at a young age to be in charge, to be the the religious director and um, the person to whom everyone would ask questions in a temple. Okay, I have a couple of things on this. First off, this was in the early 1600s because he was born in 1573. So, 1600, yes. 1599, don't make me do math. And so, I'm guessing that the mean age of a person living at that time was probably somewhere around 40. In other words, some people lived to 80, but many people didn't for all the reasons, disease, broken bones that wouldn't heal, gangrene, all the things that killed people in all the countries. Yes. So I agree that um, 36 is a very young age for the honor that he got. But the fact that he did live such a long life, does that speak to the lifestyle that he chose? Oh. Yeah. I'm just thinking. Maybe it did. Because he chose such a pure and clean life. Well, the food, the austerity, the discipline, the self-discipline, the fact that he had to uh, make decisions to help others. The routine. Yeah, so many things that we don't even know. But he didn't stay there very long. And that's the interesting part. I don't know if it was that it wasn't as challenging as he wanted, or maybe he just needed not to be in one place. Because... He began a long period of traveling, and he raised funds for the temple and for other Zen temples. This brings up a good point to me, because unless you're part of the inner workings of something, you don't really know what the impetus is. And that intent, that matters. Yeah. So it could be that they actually sent him out, because he was such a people person. That would be his skill, and that's why, and such an orator... He was an orator, that's true. Even before he became a, such a prolific writer, and so maybe that was part of it. Maybe he just, like you said, got the wonderlust, and he left them, because it doesn't really say that he ever fought with them about it. Not at all. So they, they left on good terms. But I'm going to say in that religious community, there were rock stars, and mm-hmm. he was a rock star. His uh, writings imply that he, though, was unaffected by this, which is probably what made him a rock star. His fame, his popularity, he just took it and used it, and he was the equivalent, they say, of a Japanese Renaissance man. He could apply his Zen principles to many activities. He was an accomplished gardener. He was a painter, a calligrapher, a tea master, a poet, and of course an author. And so all of those things, I believe, now I could be wrong, so again, Lynn, give him a shout out. If she's wrong, hey, tell her. If she's wrong, tell her. <laughs> I believe all those are considered martial arts. Yes. When you, the broad spectrum of martial arts, I think that's one of the first things I learned when I uh, became a student, that martial arts meant this beautiful, almost opening like a fan kind of uh, subjects. Renaissance character. Renaissance character, that's right. You know, what they don't have on here is pottery, which we just recently saw a show where it was mentioned as, as a martial art form. Big shout out to Gail Sherman for introducing us to the concept of Japanese pottery way back when. I can't even remember. I know it was in the 90s, though. Thanks, Gail. And also, um, this is a good time to reiterate that martial in Japanese doesn't mean military like it does to us. 
No. It means physical and philosophical strength and endurance. And I'm taking that definition from Peter Urban's book, The Karate Dojo. Correct. When I was doing the research on the samurai, I tried to look up all the different aspects of martial arts. And I couldn't find a list anywhere. So if, if you have a list, if you guys see a list in your research, please bring it to my attention. Because I just know these from what people have told me over the years. Yes. Yes. And can I give you a cool little aside? Takwan is also credited with inventing the yellow pickled radish. That they named a Takwan in his honor. That's so cool. Really? Yes, you might relish that too. Uh. <laughs> now, Takwan got involved in some politics. In 1629, he was banished to northern Japan for his role in this ecclesiastical matter, criticized the shogun at the time, Tokugawa Hidetada. While there, Takwan was very smart. He befriended the swordsman and personal instructor to the shogun. And this is where he wrote the treatise that we mentioned earlier on Zen and sword fighting, which draws on the concept of no mind, to demonstrate the proper method of mind training incumbent on, on adepts in both the martial arts and Zen meditation. By far and away, he wasn't the first person to bring meditation and martial arts skills together. Yes. But his book is, uh, I certainly would recommend it, to a non-martial artist as well. It's, it's not a hard read like Musashi's book is. To me. It wasn't a hard read at all. Did you find it to be a hard read? No, and I loved it. But I was chuckling at how, how easy Musashi's book looks to read, but when you read it, you go, what? <laughs> so true. Okay, so after the death of the shogun Tokugawa Hidetada, Takwa's banishment came to an end, and the new shogun asked him to come to the city of Edo, which is now Tokyo, to be the founding abbot of a new temple, the Tokaiji. Hmm. That's interesting. Yes, and the shogun wanted Takwan in close proximity and to be counsel, to, to give advice as needed. So you can certainly see that he was elevated to a really important place in the world of the shogun. And I did read, following um, your notes there, he wasn't unhappy because he was a person who lived for the contentment of life as opposed uh, to I'm happy, I'm unhappy. But he was happiest when he was traveling. Yes, that's when he was yes. at his best and his finest. Hmm. So that's also a little cool aside. He yes. must have been such a pleasure to know. Reading about him made me sort of kind of compare him a little bit to the Dalai Lama in that the Dalai Lama seems so comfortable out in public talking to thousands of people or a small group, two people, or if you never hear anything about him for, say, two years, and then he comes back up. He seems very comfortable in that inner peace kind of way. And the stories about Taekwon remind me of him. So not trying to insult anyone by comparing two different philosophical ways or anything like that. I'm just saying that I, I was reminded of that. And the mm. Dalai Lama is such a personable character. Isn't he? Yes, he always seems that way to me. Okay, I'm going to pick it up here and go back to the unfettered mind. In it, he reiterates the concept of the mind is a tool to be controlled. And have we or have we not brought that up a few times? Oh, yes, definitely. And Landon, even you're 12, don't you find it handy to have a little bit control over what's going on in your head? Yes. Even though we're not perfect at it, just to have that tool available is so handy. I can't even imagine how my childhood would have been different had I known any of this kind of thing. Because... 
a teenager's mind is just all over the map, isn't it? Yes. So Taquan goes on to say, not only is the mind a tool to be controlled, it's also to be honed and used for its strengths. Ah. And I like that. Yes. Without going into a lot of detail, let's just touch on a couple of the things we mean by strengths and weaknesses of the mind. The strength is memory. Yes. What's another one? Being able to learn. Decisiveness. Yes. But the downside is that craziness that comes at the hours between midnight and 2 a.m. or midnight and 6 a.m. when you're like, could you please calm down and let me go back to sleep? (laughs) Right? Yes. That's when you want to have control over it. Oh, yes. And finally, according to a legend, at the moment before his death in 1645, he painted the character for Dream, laid down, and died. I think that is the most beautiful way to go. I know. There's just so much there. I mean, certainly we we already reiterated earlier about how people died younger because we didn't have the tools to help them. So for sure, someone could imply that now that we have the tools to help people, death is more clinical and less poetic, but we weren't there and we don't know. And on that note, can you believe it's time to move on to last words? Yes. I think that it was really interesting to learn about him. And I think that although he wasn't truly a karate man, per se, he exhibited skills that every karate man would want to have. And woman. Well, so there's a karate story out there. And my teacher, Master Collegian, he made three prints to tell the story. And he gave one of the prints to Sensei Brown, one of the prints to Sensei Lasorsa, and one of the prints to me. And the, the point of the story is that the man is just a, a humble person cooking rice over a fire and so the first print is the picture of him cooking the rice and in the second print the attacker is sneaking up on him from the back with the sword and in the third print he's lifting the pot to check the rice and with the lid of the pot he blocks the sword and so the point of the story is do you have to be this karate man in order to have that kind of presence of the moment to do what is needing to be done at that moment. It's really cool. that it's, it, There's so many cool things about that little wow. story. One of them is that the story exists. One of them is that Master Collegian made the prince, and one of them is that he divvied them out to three people who he felt were close to him. Yes. I, I'm sure you guys still have your prince. I still have mine. Of course. And that all the three of you together tell the whole story. Us. But going back to your point, he wasn't a karate fighter, but he was a martial artist. Absolutely. And he also simultaneously was a Zen monk. That's correct. So we could say we're karate people and martial artists, but didn't pass over to the Zen monk category. (laughs) I don't even know if we dipped our toe in that water. (laughs) All right, guys. How about you, Cynthia Jackie? Do you have anything else you want to say? I don't, but I really enjoyed talking about this man. And we have all kinds of good history ones coming up. Hey, I want to give a shout out to the audience today. A kind of a personal note. First off, thank you for listening. Our show is doing great. But what I'd really like for each person to do is tell somebody about the show. Say, hey, here's a podcast I'm listening to. Please listen to it because what I'd like to build is my first-time listeners. Right now, the only time I get first-time listeners is when I reach out to somebody. And so it's a slow process, one or two a week. And I'd like to see a week where I get, say, 15 brand-new listeners. Those of you... Full-time listeners that are constantly tuning in every week, believe me, I appreciate you, and I, I just I can't thank you enough. 
but please tell somebody about the podcast. That would be awesome. I would appreciate it so much. I would too. Please do that. Us. We always love we always love new listeners. And we certainly love our old listeners. Us. All right. It's time to say our goodbyes. You start us out, Mr. Landon. I really enjoyed Tuckwan. Thanks for listening with us and hope to see you soon. We're signing out until next week. Who are you going to call for all your karate needs? Honor Athletics, of course. 770-945-5150. HonorAthletics.com. Thanks for stopping by. We will see you next time on Wildcat Dojo Conversations.